Hi, and welcome to the Hollywood Dreammaker Podcast. I'm your host, Billy Gallo. I'm a 35-year veteran actor. I'm the kid who came out to Hollywood with 200 bucks in my pocket and a one-way ticket when I was 18. Didn't know a soul out here, and I've been living my dream ever since. I've had an amazing career. I've been an Academy Award-winning film, blockbuster film, hit TV series. You name it, I've done it, and I got the IMDb credits to prove it. Six years ago, I opened up my own school, the Manhattan Actor Studio, where I found my true passion. That's teaching the craft of acting, but not only teaching the craft of being the guy. Success leaves clues. I know how to make dreams a reality. I did it for myself, and I do it on a daily basis for my students, and I can help you achieve yours. Welcome to my podcast. Let's get started. Hey, welcome back to Hollywood Dreammaker. I'm super excited to introduce my next guest. My next guest has been in one of the highest grossing films, one of the biggest hits ever. The film grossed $178 million in the U.S. and $463 million worldwide. The film is a classic film. The film's title is Pretty Woman. Yes, I am talking about myself. I wanted to come on and I wanted to tell you the cautionary tale of Pretty Woman. So let's begin when I was about 15, 14, 15. I was kind of, you know, kind of running around the streets and I was lost and I would escape by going to the movies and I would buy a ticket to the movie, but then I would sneak into theater after theater and see every film that was playing in the movie theater. And I would just imagine myself in Hollywood. You know, I would dream about becoming an actor. And some of the films that influenced me at that age, around 14, 15, 16, were films made by an actor who was one of the hottest actors at the time. His name was Richard Gere. Now, I, had, I saw Richard Gere and a film, American Gigolo, and that film literally changed my life. You know, I went from dressing with a leather jacket and uh, jeans, and after seeing the film, which Richard Gere played a uh, male gigolo, and, you know, he just dressed, you know, in blazers and these skinny wool ties and, you know, dress shirts and you know, when I was in my juvenile delinquent years and I was running around the streets around 16 and I was kind of getting in, uh, mixing around in the wrong circles, you know, I wanted to have that gangster life and I was hanging out and I was making some money doing dumb stuff. And, you know, I would take my money and I'd go shopping and I'd go to high end clothing shops, you know, where, you know, I'd buy sports jackets that cost three, four hundred dollars and I'd buy dress shirts and ties and called these little bars for the collar bars. I forget what they call them. You know, just like, a, you know, I, I saw Richard Gere in this film and, and I was so impressed by the way he dressed. And, you know, so I started looking at Gentleman's Quarterly magazine and, you know, I started getting into fashion and Richard Gere influenced my, my teenage years, especially, you know, 17, 16, 17. I mean, I, I remember when I first saw him, I think it was... A film called Breathless, and he played this cool kind of character that was running from the law. 
And I, I saw him in another film, Officer and a Gentleman. And then he was in a movie called The Cotton Club. So I was a huge fan of Richard Gere. He was one of the hottest movie stars ever. And, you know, I would sit in those theaters and I would dream about becoming an actor. Cut to, you know, 18 years old. I decided I was going to come out to Hollywood. I came out with 200 bucks in my pocket and a one-way ticket. And if you've listened to any of my other podcasts, you know the story. You know, I, I came out, I got my first audition, I landed that role, I got my SAG card, and that snowballed my career. I started guest starring on a lot of different TV shows that were really popular at the time. I landed my own TV series. The show got canceled after nine episodes. It was a show called Second Chance. And I was kind of bummed out that my show got canceled. You know, we were one of the first shows on uh, the Brandly new formed Fox network. And then I had uh, the Fox network reach out to me and say, well, you know, we wanted to create a new series and uh, we want you to be the lead. And so it was me and Matthew Perry and it was retitled Boys Will Be Boys. And there was a big launch of the new Fox network with all the shows at the time, 21 Jump Street and Married with Children. And I was off and running. I had my own TV show on Saturday nights at eight o'clock and it was, uh, it was pretty awesome. And then there was a writer's strike and the, my show got canceled. And it was about 1989. I think the show ran for another year. They reran the, the whole season. So it ran till about 1990. But just at that time when I was kind of down because my series got canceled, my agent called me up and he told me about a, a film. The film was called 3000. It was a, a film about prostitution and drugs. And it was a cautionary tale about, you know, Hollywood and the streets. And my agent told me about an audition and he said that, you know, they were looking for the, the, the pimp, Carlos. And he was a pimp on Hollywood Boulevard. And it was a film with Richard Gere. And when I heard it was a film with Richard Gere and it was directed by Gary Marshall. And I grew up with Gary Marshall, you know, I was a big fan. I, you know, in that same movie theater I used to sneak into, I remember watching Matt Dillon in a movie called The Flamingo Kid, which was directed by uh, Gary Marshall. You know, I grew up, Happy Days, you know, I grew up with Gary Marshall and I was super excited about this audition. You know, I was determined that I was going to get that part. The character was a pimp on Hollywood Boulevard, Carlos. And at the time I was living in Hollywood. I was living at a place called the Altanito, which was an old Hollywood building. They, they actually use it as a location for a movie called Sunset Boulevard. And uh, William Holden was a writer and he was living at the Altanito. So it was old time Hollywood Boulevard. It was on uh, Ivar and it was just a few blocks off of Hollywood Boulevard. So I decided to do some research. You know, as an actor, you want to prepare, you want to, you know, do the research, figure out who the character is. And the character was a pimp on Hollywood Boulevard. So I went down to Hollywood Boulevard and I was in a, on a mission to find a pimp. And, you know, back in the days, back in, you know, the, the late 80s, early 90s, there were still pimps and prostitutes on Hollywood Boulevard, you know, walking around. So I walked up to a pimp. I found a guy. I found the pimp on Hollywood Boulevard. I befriended him and I told him exactly what I was doing. Uh, you know, I was doing some research. I was an actor and I was to play a pimp and I hung out with him and a couple of his prostitutes and I just kind of watched him and I observed, you know, his behavior, the way he stood, his wardrobe, the, the, 
he had this cool hat, you know, he had this really awesome hat. And I asked him, I said, you know, where'd you get the hat? And he said, yo, man, Hollywood hat shop down the street. So I went down to Hollywood hat shop and I bought that same exact hat that he had. And he wore a, uh, a flashy dress shirt, but he had the sleeves cut off of it. And he had a tattoo on his shoulder. So I went to Goodwill and I bought myself a, a flashy dress shirt and I cut off the sleeves and I, and I put a tattoo, a fake tattoo on my arm that said Carlos on it. And the way he stood, the way he walked, the way he talked, you know, I took all of that, all of his behavior, his walk, his talk, his stance, his wardrobe. And that is what I brought into the door for Gary Marshall when I read for this film, 3000. And as soon as I walked in the door, you know, Gary, God bless his soul, Gary passed away, a wonderful director, such a talented man. He immediately loved the hat. I mean, his words to me were, I love the hat. I love the hat. You know, so I think the hat, my research got me the job because I didn't leave anything to the imagination. I brought in a pimp, you know, a real Hollywood pimp. You know, that's how I believe I got that part. So, you know, note to actors, you know, you want to do your research. You want to prepare. When I play an LAPD officer, I do ride-alongs with the LAPD. When I played a firefighter, I rode along with the fire department. When I played a paramedic, I did ride-alongs in an ambulance. When I played a Navy SEAL, I was trained by Navy SEALs. So, you know, that's what you do as an actor. You want to be able to walk to walk and talk to talk and become the character. And that's what I did with Pretty Woman. I walked in and I brought him the pimp, Carlos the pimp. And I booked the job. And I was so excited that I had landed a a lead in a film. And this was not, you know, I had done other films. I had done uh, Night of the Demons a, a couple of years prior. I think I did in 1988. I think I filmed Pretty Woman in 1989 or 90. It came out in 90. So it was 19, it was about a year prior. I had done a, a horror film, but it was, you know, a low budget horror film. This was a whole different story. This was a big time Hollywood production with some major talent on board. I mean, Julia Roberts was, you know, she was new. Nobody really knew Julia. She was just this young, beautiful, talented actress. I think she had maybe done a film called Mystic Pizza, or, or I'm not sure if that was before or after, but Pretty Woman is the movie that put her on the map. So here I am, and I landed this role, and all of a sudden, you know, I, I I went from being down to being right back up. You know, my TV series was canceled, but, you know, I was now in a big block, big, you know, Hollywood movie. It wasn't a blockbuster, but it was a big high, you know, compared to a million dollar movie that I made, uh, Night of the Demons, I believe the budget on this one was 14 million. The film was about drugs and prostitution. And I, Carlos, was the drug dealing pimp. And I had a, uh, quite a few scenes in the film. Uh, I had some confrontational scenes with Richard Gere. I had, you know, the, the reason why Julia Roberts gets into Richard Gere's car in the first place in the film. And if you watch the film, you'll see when she gets in the car with him, she looks over her shoulder. 
because I was coming across the street. I was across at the Hollywood Wax Museum and I noticed her on the streets and I said, is that Vivian? And I came prior to that. I told her that her roommate had owed me $200 and I told her not to take any dates because she had one with me. And then I see her on the streets and she's talking to a, 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 a trick and I was not too happy about that. So I come storming across the street, yelling at her, calling her name, and she jumped into the car to get away from me, my character, Carlos. And throughout the film, I was her roommate, Laura San Giacomo, who played Kit, was a drug addict, and I was supplying her drugs. And that was Julia Roberts' roommate in the film. And as far as I was concerned, Carlos, that Julia had to work off her money with me, you know, that's the scene that's in the film is when uh, she runs into her roommate looking for rent money. She's uh, at a pool hall with me and she's high. And I tell Julia Roberts character that, you know, she, she owes me 200 bucks. And if she wants to work it off with me, you know, we'll work something out. And then I threaten her in another scene. And, you know, so there were, there were quite a few scenes that I filmed in, in, in the film Pretty Woman. One of my most memorable scenes was we were filming on Hollywood Boulevard, and it was big time Hollywood. Now picture this, it's Hollywood Boulevard. The streets are closed off. They have all the lights and the cameras on a crane because they have the scene where the car pulls up. And they have the streets closed off and there's thousands of people just looky-loo and watching, you know, this big time movie being made. And here I am in my wardrobe, my hat, my, you know, shirt with my sleeves cut off. And I'm sitting in the car, you know, while we're waiting, I was sitting in the car with Richard Gere, the actor that I grew up watching and I idolized and I was like, you know, I want to be an actor. And here I am sitting in this car, having a conversation, getting ready to shoot a scene opposite him. It was surreal. The dream had become a reality. Now I had made it. I was on the set working beside one of my idols on a big time Hollywood movie. And it was one of the most amazing experiences as a young actor, you know, to, to, to feel just to, wow, how the hell did I do that? How did the street kid who was running around Brooklyn lost till I witnessed one of my friends get shot in the head in front of me, get shot five times, the guy that I wanted to be, my idol. And then when I watched him laying on the ground with a pool of blood coming out of his head, I knew that that was not the life for me. And everything changed at that moment. And I decided, you know, I had to get out of Brooklyn. You know, I had some guys chasing me down. I was kind of in fear for my life. So I kind of hid out. I hid out in uh, Syracuse, New York, where my sisters were going to college. And then I came back to New York and I found out the guy was still looking for me. And then I said, I got to get out. And I got out of Brooklyn. I crossed the bridge and I went to New York City. And I started studying my craft at Lee Strasberg. And I found a theater called the New Family Theater. And I found exactly that, a new family in the theater. I got out of Brooklyn. I changed my life. And I had blinders on. I had my sights set for Hollywood. I was going to be an actor and I was going to make this dream a reality. Cut to now I'm on Hollywood Boulevard in that car with Richard Gere making this film. To make a, a long story very, very short, you know, 
I, you know, I got paid minimal money for that film. You know, it was just, you know, I was, I think it was like a weekly contract for, you know, every week that I worked, you know, maybe it was a couple of thousand dollars, you know, there was overtime and meal penalties. So maybe it made, made a couple thousand bucks. It wasn't a lot of money. You know, I worked, you know, I don't know, maybe a couple of weeks on the film. And then that was it, you know, the, the film, we shot it and it was gone and it disappeared from my life. And, you know, I was kind of wondering, you know, when it was going to be released or I was waiting to hear about it and I, I didn't hear anything. And then a friend of mine came and he told me, he said, Hey man, I was, I was, I was outside of a theater and the, you know, these people were handing out these, these um, invitations, you know, they would screen movies and they would invite people to come and they would do like a survey, you know, uh, you know, after you watched the film, what did you think of the film? It was like a questionnaire and, and it was a film um, and the film's title was called Pretty Woman. And it was with Richard Gere and Julia Roberts directed by Gary Marshall. And I was like, well, wait a second, that's my movie. It was no longer called 3000. It was called Pretty Woman. So I told my friend, I said, listen, you got to give me, you know, I, I need, I want, I, I got to go see that movie. So, you know, actors are not allowed to go to those screenings. It's a test audience. And I snuck in with a baseball hat. And uh, I remember I, I, I snuck in and I thought I was slick. But when I snuck in, my producers from my TV series, Gary Mentir and David Duclon, were in the audience. And they were friends of Gary Marshall's from the Happy Days. They were, I believe, writers on the show. And... I was trying to be incognito, but it was, I was, I was noticed, you know, I was, you know, I was on the TV series. I was, uh, you know, I was, I was kind of uh, in the public eye at that time. So it was kind of, you know, people were recognizing me and so it was really kind of hard for me to kind of hide, but I sat in that movie theater and I, and I watched this movie, Pretty Woman. And I remember sitting there and watching the credits and, and, and one of, you know, the opening, scenes was my scene where Julia Roberts wakes up. She's looking for her rent money. She doesn't have it. She's looking for, she goes to look for her roommate and her roommate is with my character, Carlos at the blue banana, the club that I hung out in. And, you know, I told her that, you know, she owes me $200. And, and if you want to work off her money with me, we can work that out. And I sat there and I was on the big screen and it was the most exciting moment. I was like, I made it. I was on this big, I was, I was on the big screen. And then unfortunately for me, I did not know that the movie had been totally revamped and it went from being a much darker film about drugs and prostitution to this Cinderella version, you know, in the original script and the original story, you know, at the end, Richard Gere pretty much kicks Julia Roberts to the curb and throws $3,000 at her for the week that she spent with him because, you know, she was, she made a promise like she wouldn't get high because, you know, she had, she, in the original script, she had a drug thing. Uh, Laura Sanjacomo's character, I believe, died in the in in, in the, the original script. So you know, it was, the script was so much. It was a completely different film. But Disney purchased the film and they made it a Cinderella version, and it was all of the dark stuff, the Hollywood Boulevard stuff, got cut out. The only scene was that one scene in the film. So as I sat and watched the film. 
I know I, I, I started realizing that, wow, my part got cut out of the film. And I was devastated. I couldn't believe that my stuff <laughs> ended up on an editing room floor. And Gary was, was a sweetheart. You know, he, he, he really felt bad. You know, I think he felt bad because not only did he cut me out, but he cut out his own son. Scott Marshall played my sidekick drug dealer. He's the kid on a skateboard that, you know, has a knife that pops out of it. You know, he's in the film too, but he was in, he was in every scene I was in, he was in his own son. But Gary felt that the film would be a better film if the, the, all that dark drug stuff got cut out, the prostitution and the drug stuff. And turned it into a movie called Pretty Woman, which was a completely different film from 3000. It became a romantic comedy. And you know the story. The movie turned out to be one of the biggest hits ever. You know, I mean, a $14 million movie made $178 million in the U.S. and $463 million worldwide. I mean, the film was a big hit. It was the number one video cassette rental, number one movie. It was number one everything. It was all over the place and it was kind of heartbreaking for me because I had one scene in the film that was left in the film and it was a small, you know, they talk about my character throughout the whole film. Carlos is looking for you. Carlos did this. Carlos did that. But where the hell is Carlos? So let's just say I, I was really, I was, I was kind of devastated, <laughs> you know, my TV series got canceled and my big movie, my part got cut out. You know, that's Hollywood. You know, you, you never know. You just you just do the work and you you stay on the path and you just continue to work. You have no control over what happens in an editing room. You have no control over whether or not a pilot gets picked up or a show gets canceled. You know, sometimes there's a lot of political stuff that goes behind it. You just don't know. I mean, my show, you know, Boys Will Be Boys was a popular show. You know, I used to get bags and bags of fan mail. You know, it was it was crazy. And it and it did well in the ratings compared to some of the other shows on, on, on Fox, but for whatever reason, you know, got canceled for whatever reason, you know, my part got cut out of pretty woman, but now, you know, I look back and I really truly look back, you know, 30 years later and I realized the gift, the, the I hear what I'm telling you right now. There was a gift sometimes in the shit, you know, when you think things are at their worst, there's a gift in it, but sometimes we're too blind to see it. I had no idea that me getting cut out of Pretty Woman, the movie being revamped into this blockbuster film, would literally was a blessing in disguise. At the time, I couldn't see it, but Let's cut back to, I think it was, um, it's like a year after Pretty Woman had released. And times were tough. The acting business is a roller coaster ride. Sometimes it's feast, sometimes it's famine. Sometimes you have three auditions in a week. Sometimes you don't get three auditions in a month or, you know, sometimes six months go by. I mean, it's a roller coaster ride. And I remember I was, I was broke, you know, I was trying to figure out how the hell am I going to pay my rent? And I remember going down to my mailbox and opening it and there was residual checks, you know, and I got residual checks all the time, you know, from all the different TV shows that I had done. I got residual checks from Hill Street Blues and, you know, 
St. Elsewhere and all of these shows that I've done. But, you know, the residuals, they, they would go down after a while. You know, they would become smaller and smaller and smaller. You know, I mean, today, sometimes I get residuals for a penny for some shows that I did 30 years ago. It's like, why do you even send me this check? I, I save them. I have a bunch of one cents, two cents checks that I've gotten from different shows that I've done over the years. So it's almost Christmas time and I go down to my mailbox and I see the residual and I'm thinking to myself, oh, here we go again. Here's another $20 residual check. And then I open up the envelope and in the envelope, there's a check for $36,000. Let's just say I jumped up and down and I was like, Merry effing Christmas. I was, it was the most I, it was the most unexpected money that I, 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 I never thought I'd see anything, you know, because uh, my part got cut out. But what happened was, is my contract, my SAG contract was in place. I was still, a, you know, a lead in the film, even though they had cut out my part. I didn't know that I was still entitled to my piece of the pie, the residuals for that film. I started getting checks every three months. I would get checks checks were coming in and this movie was the highest grossing film and I was getting checks that would keep me alive during times in my career where I didn't have an audition or I didn't know how I was going to pay the rent well I could always count on pretty woman to be there for me every three months I would every quarter I would get a check from pretty woman and so these residual checks you know they would be substantial checks I mean they weren't like the original checks, but you know, they would be $4,000, $5,000 checks. So, you know, a $5,000 check would keep me going for a few months till the next check came in. So Pretty Woman literally kept me alive throughout my whole career for 30 years. To this day, 30 years later, I still get checks and they're still substantial checks. If I was to do the math, I was kind of thinking about it one day how much money I made on that one film. And, you know, if I averaged it out, I would say, mm, to this date now, I know I make about 10,000 from residuals from Walt Disney Pictures every year, maybe 10 to $15,000. Now, if you do the math, that's $15,000 times 30. That's about $450,000. And that's, that's a low estimate at the 15,000. You know, the, the first 10 years of residuals, they were a lot bigger. So I would say, I would estimate that that movie, them cutting me out, because the movie would not have been the blockbuster hit movie if it stayed 3,000. There's no way in the world that would have happened. But since they changed that film, and revamped it and made it this rom-com that became the number one movie, number one hit, and number one everything. That that film became a blockbuster film. And that film literally paid me about a half a million dollars in residuals over a 30-year period. That's, that's a blessing in disguise. Little did I know when I was devastated because they cut me out of that film, that that film would keep me going for 30 years, you know, and, and still, I mean, it's the gift that keeps on giving, you know, I, I have a residual that said SAG right now for a couple of thousand dollars from the film. It's amazing. I'm not telling you the, the, the money to brag or anything like that. It's just, 
You never know. Sometimes when you think something's bad, it's really, really, really good. I, I'm so grateful that they revamped that movie and it became Pretty Woman and it wasn't 3000. I'm grateful. I mean, I can't tell you how many times in my life that I really kind of, I'm starting to realize that. I mean, there's, there's, there's a gift. I'll give you another example. About seven years ago, I was going through a rough time in my life. You know, people were dying. I lost my 11-year-old niece to brain cancer. You know, I lost my stepfather to prostate cancer. You know, my wife and I had a miscarriage. My wife got diagnosed with breast cancer. You know, it was devastating. I was getting pummeled that time in my life. It was the worst time of my life. But during that time, I got a little, like a voice saying, hey, you know, you should build an acting studio. And I was like, what are you talking about? I, I, I can't afford, you know, I, I had, I was injured. I tore in my rotator cuff and my labrum and I, I was in a sling and I hadn't worked. I was in a, I was in a bad place. You know, I couldn't even, I was in emotionally, couldn't even go into an audition because I, I, I was just going through a lot of anxiety and some serious stuff. But in that shit, I planted the seeds of my school, the Manhattan Actors Studio. And a beautiful thing came out. My studio is seven years now, and I've been blessed. I found my true passion, and that's being the guide, being able to help young Billies. The, the little, you know, I was somebody. There was somebody like me when I when I came into Hollywood. They could have pointed me in the direction and showed me the path. And I I love being the guide, and I love helping actors achieve their dream. I got the dream. <laughs> You know, you got to be careful what you wish for, too, because I've been in this business, you know, 35 years, and I've seen Hollywood destroy a lot of people. Success is a double-edged sword. Sometimes it's great. Sometimes it leads to a lot of other stuff. I mean, Brad Renfro, I work with him on a film, Tentham Wolf, talented, really, truly talented actor, died of a drug overdose. River Phoenix, Joaquin's brother, uh, I, I was there the night he OD'd outside the Viper Room uh, in Hollywood, in Halloween, Johnny Depp's old club. You know, so I've watched Hollywood destroy actors. Fame, you know, I, 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 sometimes I, I gotta, I'll be honest, I, you know, when I was doing the series with Matthew Perry and, and, and then he got uh, Friends, and he was making this ridiculous amounts of money. They were getting paid, the cast, especially towards the end of the season. I think they were making a million dollars an episode. And there was some jealousy there. Truly, I was jealous. But then, you know, I started seeing, you know, him in and out of rehab and his drug substance abuse and the story of that, you know, he did years of friends that he can't even remember. Sometimes fame is, is, a, is a tough thing. So, you know, if you're going to get into this business, just know that, or you're in the business, just know that there is a double edge to fame. Stay grounded. I feel like I'm the richest man in the world and I don't have millions of dollars, but I have a beautiful wife and a beautiful son and I found my passion and I love teaching the craft of acting. And that makes me the richest man. It's, it's I don't need much. I have everything I want. So sometimes in the crap, there is a miracle. In the crap of cancer, I planted the seeds of the Manhattan Actors Studio and a beautiful thing grew out of it.
in the crap of getting my show canceled and my my part getting cut out, there was a blessing in disguise. The movie would never become the big hit that it was. I would never had that pretty woman support my whole life. So always look for the miracles. Truly look for the miracles. Right now we're in the shit. 2020, COVID, everything that's going on in the world. It's the shit. But I want you to truly look for the miracles. They're there. You just got to open up your eyes. There's a beautiful gift. You just got to look for it. This is a time where you grow. Every time in my life, in the hardest times of my life, I've grown as a human being, as a man, as a, as a father, as a husband. Every, you know, every time something tough goes, I grow. I, when I think back of last year and I think about life, my, my schedule was crazy. You know, my, my wife was working her nine to five. She was getting up at six in the morning, you know, or even earlier. She was commuting. She's driving downtown LA in traffic. She spent all day at work. She got off. By the time she got home, it was about six o'clock. I taught all day long. I, I dropped my son off at school. He stayed at school all day. I taught all day. My wife worked all day. My son even had to go after school at three o'clock. He would go to aftercare till six o'clock till either my wife or me went and picked him up. And then I had a one hour dinner break before I taught my class. So literally we were two ships passing in the night. I got to spend maybe an hour at dinner with my son on a Monday night. Everything has changed. We, I used to eat out every night, pretty much. I, now I look at the gift. I, I have my wife. She's at home. My son is at home. We eat together. We, we, we spend quality time together. We, it's truly been a gift in this time I've created this podcast. You know, I didn't have time for that. COVID gave me the time to create my podcast. And now I get to touch people all over the world. My podcast is global. I'm so grateful for that. You know, I'm grateful for COVID. It's given me my, my family and my wife some quality time back. So I want you to look at your life and really think about all you have to be grateful for, all the miracles that have happened during this time. I believe in looking at the glass half full, not half empty. Really change your story and you will change your life. This is a time for you to be working on your craft. This is, this is a time for you to be working on your self-tapes. The future of casting is self-tapes. The days of going into an audition in Hollywood will, are probably over. People are going to know, well, why would I want to drive an hour and a half if I'm a director and I live in Malibu? And I, why would I want to drive an hour and a half into Hollywood, sit in a small room, see a bunch of actors and then drive back? How about I sit in my beautiful house and I watch on my big screen TV actors, actors uh, tapes, self-tapes? That's a much easier job for me. That's, that's what I'm going to do. How about I do a Zoom call for a director session? That is the future of casting. So... Start working on your craft. If you're not doing it, you definitely need to start working on your self-tapes. Set yourself up. Get yourself a ring light. Get yourself a background. Find a monologue. Figure out what's your castability. How do you see yourself get, getting cast? What kind of roles you see, you see yourself playing? Really work on that. This is the time to 
rise up. This is not a time to lay down and binge watch and watch Netflix. This is a time to work on your craft, work on an accent, figure out your castability. If you see yourself playing, you know, a certain character, well, you know, you want that in your active toolbox. This is the time to do that. So take this time and use it as a gift because one day all this preparation that you're doing is going to meet an opportunity. And when the floodgates open up, there's going to be a lot of opportunities for actors. There's going to be a backlog of work. And if you get your game up and that opportunity shows up, you're going to start booking jobs. And I know this for a fact because I can't tell you how many actors I have right now that are booking jobs. If I had a nickel for every time somebody said, hey, I booked that job, I got that audition, I got that call. It's, it's, but they've been preparing during this time. They haven't been laying down. I created a 30-day self-tape challenge and they've been putting their self-tapes. And now their preparation is meeting with the opportunity and they're booking jobs. So it's just a matter of time. Listen, if you're truly passionate about this craft and you really want to do this, I believe in you. You can do this. If I can do it, you can do it. Just make it happen. Go after it like you mean it with a vengeance. Don't let anybody tell you it can't be done. I'm living proof that it can be done. How the hell does a kid, a street kid from Brooklyn that was running around the street seeing his friend get shot in the head, wind up doing a movie that paid him a blockbuster movie that you know paid him a half a million dollars over a 30-year period? How does that happen? Well, massive action. I knew I wanted it. I went after it like I meant it. I bought, I, I, you want to take the island? Burn the boats. I had no boat back. I didn't have a return ticket. Failure was not an option. I went after it like I meant, meant it. I wanted it really bad. So if you want this dream, make sure you're doing it for the right reason. Make sure you're doing it because it's in you. It's your passion. It's your joy. You, you love doing it. You're not doing it for the fame. You're not doing it for the money. You know, that comes. That comes if you, if you do it for the right reason and you do land something, the money and the fame, you know, are part of it. But, you know, once I said, like I said, it's a double-edged sword, so be careful what you wish for. Just make sure you stay grounded and you really just follow your, your passion and follow your dreams. I believe in you. Go after them with a vengeance. That's all for now. I hope you got some golden nuggets from this story. Really, think about it. What is the gift? Find the gift, the miracle during this time. If you open your eyes and you look around, you're going to see it. I wish you great health. Stay safe. Stay healthy. Go after your dreams with a passion. And I'll see you next time. Take care. Hey, thanks for listening to the show. Please rate, review, share this with your friends. Subscribe if you haven't. Please take whatever you get from here, the golden nuggets, and apply them to your career. Go after your dreams with passion. Don't let anybody tell you it can't be done. I believe in you. Follow your dreams. I'll see you in Hollywood.